Okay, should I open the door? Okay. Look, everyone, he's coming through the door. Brilliant! He didn't even open them! He's here! Hey, look, everybody, it's Barney! Yes, I'm Barney with you until midnight. It's the Barney Simon Show. We couldn't come up with something uh, more creative, so we're still stuck with that name. I think we're in our seventh week now. Cindy Alter, a living legend. Welcome. (laughs) It is amazing to be here. And Barney, what a beautiful compilation you had there. Oh, yes. That's my my producer. Is it? Al, he mixed that. I don't know where, like you said. Where did he get some of that stuff? I mean, people never played some of that stuff. You know, in a box under his bed or something. <laughs> it's fine with me. Brilliant. But hey, goosebumps. I saw you. You were going like, wow, all those memories it flashed. Was. They flashed. I so promise you. We're going to talk about all those memories. Uh, we're going to talk uh, from the day you were born, and we're going to go right through until midnight. And uh, we're just going to chat about your career and people, and we're going to have a bit of fun. Okay. And you gave me 20 songs. We've selected 10. Okay. Your favorite songs of all time, the music that inspired you. But once again, you know, I've, I've seen you at so many gigs. I walk past you. You always play here at Monte Casino, and I've never actually interviewed you. Do you know that? It took me, what, 30 years? 30 years to interview you. <laughs> I have known you all that time, Barney. And I've never but interviewed you. Well, you know what? We were always in different genres. I mean, I was a rock chick. Mm. And then I did that Zia thing, which is the African, you know, pop thing. And But you were always in alternative music. You were always on that edge, the punk stuff, the harder stuff. And so I don't think we crossed that often. Even though mm. I loved that stuff, it wasn't stuff I played ever. And I was not really that much a part of. So you were in a different genre, put it that way. But you were like, also, oh, I got it. To all of us, like, Barney, oh, my God. Oh, no. No, absolutely. When I told everybody Barney's going to have me in the studio, they're like, ooh, pretty cool, mm. man. Well, um, you, you, the Wednesday night thing, you know, I do the Monday to Friday during the day. Yes. And that's when you play, you know, you play the commercial music and the yes. hits and stuff like that and uh, what the people want. And now I get the opportunity to play what the musos in this country want. You know, I'm going to still interview uh, comedians. Uh, mm. I've got um, people out of theater. I think they deserve a bit of airtime. And that's what this is all about. Uh, people, uh, the, the people, the youngsters listening, they don't know who the hell you are. Their parents know and their grandparents yes. know. And uh, I just want you uh, at the end of, at, at midnight when the youth, when they listen to you, I want you to inspire them. And you're still doing it after all these years, yes. which is a, very important as a musician because it's very tough in this country. But let's go back to, well, where were you born? I'd love to know. I was born in Johannesburg. Where? At the Marymount Hospital, Maternity Hospital, <laughs> in 1957. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody knows me. I speak about my age because I don't give a damn. <laughs> I love that. So um, how many children? No children. No, no, I mean in your family. I, mean, <laughs> I never had any children in my family. No, I'm kidding. So you're, no, you're I'm, the only child? No, no. I had a brother and a sister. I okay. have, still have, thank God, okay. a sister and a brother. My sister lives in L.A. She came when I was living there, mm-hmm. and she stayed, and she's still there. My brother's here, family, three kids. My dad's still alive. He's here, and his lovely wife, Faye, and my life, my family, Still all strong. That's amazing, man. That'd be a lesson to a lot of young people because, uh, you know, these days they don't, they, they think our parents, mm. they, <laughs> they won't be there forever, but you, you're very lucky. In, and I think uh, we will talk about uh, the sad things that happen in your life as well. I'd want to know about those things. I mean, the ups and downs. I mean, that's what life is all about. Huh? So, which primary school were your head girl? <laughs> 
no, never. <laughs> Me. I was just too naughty, I think, to ever be a head girl of anything. I was also not a cool chick, you know. I, was, I didn't want to be part of any crowds. Mm. I was actually a bit of a recluse at school. I, I used to smoke on the field and <laughs> be like really naughty. Um, I went to King David Primary School because it was around the corner from where we lived. So okay. I was a nice Jewish girl for a while. Mm. And then um, my first years at high school, I was at Parktown Girls for two years. Then I went to Roosevelt High and I finished off at Greenside. I did my matric, believe it or not. My father said, if you don't do matric, you cannot do music. If you want to sing, give me a matric. And I'm like, okay, daddy. I gave him his matric. So I remember then in those days as well, if you had stand at eight, you could still get a job, yeah, no problem, you absolutely. know. So, and nowadays, matric means nothing. Nothing. It's absolutely. a good start. But <laughs> even if you got what's five years of studying, you still can't get a job. It's tough, hey? Listen, I think yeah. everything's tough. I think yeah. this world is in a very sorry state at the moment. And it's not about being negative or yeah. anything. I think there's a lot of really bad shit going mm. on. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Um, but, uh, how are we going to change that? We'll talk about that later yeah. on. But when you were at school, I mean, primary school into mm. high school, mm. um, did you grab a guitar then? What inspired mm. you to, to start singing or were you into sport and stuff like that as well? No, I was, uh, my mother said that I used to sing to the radio when I was a baby, like 21 months and stuff. I used to just hum along and la, 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 whatever was on the radio. And she said, I can't believe this child is singing what's, you know, she's hearing something on the radio and then singing it. So they obviously realized they had a natural sort of aptitude mm. for it. My mother was a music teacher. She was a pianist. She'd been in theater and stuff. My father could sing really well, and he played ukulele and mouth organ and piano, and my mom was a piano teacher. So I came from a musical background, um, but they never pushed me. They just let me just grow into whatever it was. I was never having my mother go, come on, play the guitar and take this and do this. She did ask me if I wanted to learn music, and I said, okay, I'll go to piano lessons. I hated it. I still can't read music to this day. So at school, uh, we, we, in your day as well, we didn't have television, I don't think. No, so we did We not. had radio, so you had to listen yes. to Springbok Radio, and those amazing stories. I mean, Squad Cars and Minor them. Tracy Dark. The creaking door. Oh, yeah. <laughs> On a and, Friday night. <laughs> and then, obviously, we had the uh, SA Top 20 with David Grisham. Absolutely. Reach for the stars. And, I mean, yeah. that's where, in the afternoon, he did the drive show, and he played, he broke all the new music there. He played, I'll never forget, he played Van Halen. <gasps> Running with the Devil, and he played Kiss, and he played, you know, if you think about it, on a radio station like that, very conservative in a way, but David Gresham broke all the barriers, and I I mean, I remember listening to uh, Queen, Bohemian Rhapsody, he played that as well, so that's what we had as kids, I mean, Mm. we had our radios next to us, no cell phones! No cell phones, no TV, so we couldn't see what these people looked like, so it didn't matter whether you were fat, thin, ugly, or pretty. Nowadays, if, you, if you're not gorgeous and skinny and 10, then you don't get a record deal. You know what I'm saying? And if, if yeah. you even 10's too old, are you signing fetus? Mm. If you've got a fetus, they'll sign your fetus. <laughs> Tell me the first song you heard on radio or wherever, a pop song or a rock song or whatever, what was that song and, and, and what turned you on about it? You know, I think my first real memory, I was, I was probably 10 or 11. It was a song called The Banner Man. Do you remember that Mm-mm. song? And the banner man tell the banner hi. And he's a da, 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 da. You have to be drunk to a, listen to that yeah, song. Yeah, probably. It was just all la 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 But it's just something strong about it. And then my mom used to, 
they used to play records and they had the Seekers. Oh, yes. And I loved the Seekers because their songs were so amazing and they had so much harmony. Yeah. So I think those were my first memories. Of course, my dad played Elvis, you know, records, mm-hmm. 78s, baby, <laughs> on a record player. And so there was a lot of music in the house, but then there was also Mario Lanza in the house. Mm. So I, I actually grew up hearing a lot of stuff, but I got very turned on by rock. So I was, when I got older, I was listening to Jethro Tull, Led Zeppelin, you know, um, Uriah Heep. I loved that stuff. So you had, uh, I mean, some of those musos, you must have had Black Sabbath or Deep Purple or whatever. Absolutely. Posters on your walls and your parents didn't mind that. (laughs) I actually, I don't think I had their posters on my walls. (laughs) I think I had a picture of... Uh, the guy who played Romeo in oh, Romeo no. and Juliet. <laughs> oy, oy, oy. Sorry. We've all been there, done that. Huh? The I thought he was out. the cutest, cutest thing in the world. <laughs> we used to go to drive in nearly every Friday night. My dad used to take us out because my mom stayed home and she would do her nails and wash her hair and she would like, leave me alone, take the kids and go out. And my dad would take us to drive in and used to get a, a magazine you buy called The Stage and Cinema at the drive-in, and it would have all the news about all the stars. Because, again, we didn't have TV. So we used to get all our news about all these people then. But they didn't have anything about musicians. I think that just, like, it just grew in me from when I was a child. When I was 10, my mom started learning flamenco guitar. And I used to grab her guitar when she'd finished her lessons and sit around and play with it. And they bought me a book of chords. And I just started working the chords out, and that was it. Then I'd hear a song on radio, and I'd work out the chords and start playing it. Did you also uh, rush out and buy seven singles and uh, yes. albums and cassettes? Yes. yes. I had so many albums. I was an album freak. And then obviously you the friends at school. I mean, we're talking about high school yes. now. Uh, mm. What kind of music were they listening to? I mean, you were the rock chick, but yeah. um, did you um, invite them over? Did you influence uh, all your friends? Uh, you I know, don't know if I influenced them. Maybe I did. I but... hope you did. <laughs> But it definitely, um, yeah, they used to come to my house. We had a big pool and everybody was always hanging out at the pool. And I was always playing my my rock. Yeah. Now, <laughs> listening to the radio and buying the albums and stuff, uh, we're looking at South African music in those days. Who was the first South African artist that you uh, remember? I mean, maybe you saw posters of or, or, or maybe a seven single you bought. Do you remember? Um, it might have been... Charisma, the song called Mammy Blue. Oh, oh Mammy, Mammy yes. Blue. Oh, Mammy that? Blue. I remember that. Brilliant song. And then there was song. also Billy Forrest. Yeah. And that kind of thing. Quinton E. Klopp Jagger. <laughs> Interesting. Name, Jeremy Taylor. Oh, yes. The driving song. <laughs> the driving song. Wow. You know, um, funny thing about Charisma was it, it was produced by Graham Biggs, who later became produced, our producer. Yeah. Uh, maybe, uh, have you ever done a cover of that? Oh, Mammy. Yeah. That bass riff in there is, is amazing. Where are those well, people today? I have no idea. Maybe they're listening. No you idea. never know. Hello out there. <laughs> you know, peace to the world. <laughs> okay, before we carry on about uh, where you started with your first band and how you jammed in the garage together, why yes. you actually formed a band, the police, every breath you take, you've, you've given me 10 of your favorite songs of all time. Yeah. Why the police and why this amazing song? Um, met these guys. We were traveling in Europe. 
doing all the TV shows and stuff because uh, Substitute and Save Me and they were still, you know, charting. And the police were around at the time. I think we just released our first or our second album. I'm sorry, I can't remember exactly. My memory is not what it used to be. <laughs> um, all the drugs, you know. <laughs> no, unfortunately, I could, can't say that. But um, we did a, a show, TV show with them and I, my jaw dropped. Because of Sting. He was sexy, wasn't he? You know, yeah, Mm. but it was more this three-piece band Mm. that sounded so freaking awesome. I mean, they're they're basically just like, they called them a white reggae band. They were. They were so different. Uh, For a three-piece. Three-piece. And then our promoter, his name was Connie, he was promoting their tour. And he said, hey, you guys want to come see the, the, the police band? I'm like, yes, I want to see the police band because I'd already got their album. Outlandos Tamur, the first one, <laughs> not Tamur. <laughs> Tamur. Yeah, you know, the mm. Amor. Um, and I was absolutely gobsmacked. And then I went and I met them. I was like, oh my God. But were they nice to you? Did they shake your hand? They, they were very hello? nice. Did they make Sting, an effort? Sting was a little bit. Oh, yes. He just stood yeah. and sort of stared at me. I was very intimidated by him. Um, but Andy Summers talking to me and Stuart Copeland mm. talking to me. Andy knew, uh, you know, he knew the band and, oh, you guys have had a hit in UK and all this stuff. And we chatted for a while. And Stuart Copeland was rolling a fat joint. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, oh, man, these guys are so cool. <laughs> How young were you then? I was 21, I think. Wow. Oh. And you were, was it, uh, I mean, we'll talk about that when you had to get on a plane and get out. It's first time on, a, on an aeroplane. Yes. Uh, but, uh, okay, the police, every breath you take. Cindy Altamine, studio guest till midnight, 37942 across the 1 Rand 50. If you want to say hello, if you've got anything to ask. And uh, she selected a couple of songs like this one. The police, every breath you take. And Sting, you don't know this, but he was watching you, Cindy. <laughs> He was watching me. He was just standing there watching me. I was uh, totally intimidated. <laughs> Cindy Altamine, studio guest. Uh, now, uh, did they know you guys were from South Africa? Because Sting, the, 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 he's been out here. He's done a couple of yes. shows. But um, did they ask you any questions? Because they haven't been to South Africa at that stage. Um, and they knew you girls were all mm-hmm. from uh, South Africa. Did they? Were they intrigued about the, Andy, I told you, I was, I was talking to Andy Summers quite a bit. And he said, Oh, it's amazing that your girls got out of South Africa, you know, <laughs> yeah. because at that time, everybody was boycotted. Yeah. If you went out of South Africa and played, you were stoned. <laughs> and I don't mean stoned. Mm. I mean, you you know, they we were pariahs and they didn't want anybody to come out and they didn't want anybody to go in. Yeah. If you came to South Africa, then you'd be boycotted in your country. And there we were. We had a number two in the UK for like eight weeks or nine weeks on the charts and we weren't allowed to go there and play and sing it. They used to. They used a, um, a video from Top Pop, which was a, the Dutch Top of the Pops. They wouldn't let us go and play it because the union said, no way. Mm. These are, you know, they're from this country that is bad, doing and, yeah. bad things, yeah. 
So when you were uh, you know, at school still, though, did you get a, a band together then or was it only mm. after school? Uh, tell us a bit about that. You, you know, when I played in a band as well, I arrived yeah. late and I ended up with a bass guitar. It's one of those stories. <laughs> like, there was this bass in the corner. I said, guys, I want to sing. <laughs> sorry. Uh, no, sorry, you arrived late. And nobody wanted to play the bass guitar in those days. But uh, Really? And, and tell me your story. Uh, a couple of musos that you met. Um, who did you see maybe? Uh, how did that happen? Um. Are you talking about my early days? Yeah, right okay. when you did your first so, band or your first uh, on-stage performance at school or wherever. I started off, I had a, um, I went for some guitar lessons to this guy, Eric Solomon. And Eric had been in bands with like, he played in the coffee circuit, like Des and Dawn and those guys. Lindbergh, you know, they mm-hmm. they had the they had the soiree thing going on and he took me there to play there. I was about 13 or 14 and then he took me to some of these coffee bars and I played. Like just me and my guitar and these little coffee bars and I was a kid. So those were my first real experiences of playing. And then after that, um, at school, I, I joined guitar club. And whenever there was a concert, it was like, Cindy's going to sing. You're going <laughs> to do a couple of songs, okay? And I was always happy to do it. And then when I was at Greenside, there was a guy there who had a, a band and he said, we're looking for a singer, um, and not a guitarist, but just a mm. singer. And do you want to join our band? I'm like, cool. What's the band's name? Shunt. That's a good name. <laughs> Shunt. Are you okay. So here are all these guys. They were all in varsity. They were like, and some of them were working already. They were much older than me. They were like 20, 21. And I was like 16, 15 at school. And I joined them. And I just did backing singing, and I sang a couple of your high, your heap things, a lot of Deep Purple we were doing, and Grand Funk Railroad, we were doing crazy shit. Yeah. So those guys had long hair, they and they did. looked like like uh, bad rock stars. You know, yeah, rocks. And, and your parents, they didn't mind you joining. They didn't these. mind because they were nice <laughs> boys. Exactly. You know, even though they had long hair, mm. they were all at varsity. They were doing something with their lives. They were nice boys. And the funniest thing is that that. I mean, we've kind of stayed in contact. Like over the years, I haven't seen many of them. One of the guys is here. One of the guys is in London. And then I met um, the son of one of my one of the guys that used to sing in the band. His name is Goth. Um, I'm sorry, I've, I've gone to uh, Barnes. Goth Barnes. Oh yeah, so, so from know, Tweak. Yeah. From Tweak yeah. and subsequently Crash Carburn. Crash Carburn. Yeah. And he was the son of Roy, which was the brother it. of the vocalist. And we wow. used to play in the band together. Isn't that weird? Wow. I love a story like that. I love that. When I see him again, I'll yeah, tell him that tell story. Him. He won't believe us. Yeah, right? he told, I told yeah. him when I saw him. I said, oh, my God, I know your daddy. <laughs> your daddy. <laughs> so I played with him for a while. And then um, the, the Barnes brothers, the, I think they had to go back to, <clears throat> excuse me, to studying hard. My dad says I can't be in a band anymore because I've got to get my degree and all that stuff. <laughs> so the band kind of dissolved. And then I just did occasionally the acoustic thing at school still. And then after school, I floated around for a couple of months. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was playing in coffee bars and stuff like that and steakhouses because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's where, where you could go. And I'll go see bands and stuff. I saw Renee Feldsman. Do you remember Renee from Via Africa? Yep. She blew my head right off. What a singer, rock singer, man. And I was also a strong singer, you know. I wasn't a folky kind of singer. 
So when I saw another chick singer, and then I saw this this band called Pendulum, Glenda, Glenda Heim, yeah, who later asked me to join Clout, you know. So it's all these funny little connections, and I started working for a record company. Do you remember Johnny Gibson? No, before my time. <laughs> Johnny Gibson was one of the first guys. He had oh, he had quite a few hits. He used to write his own stuff. Him and his sister Marie, and they had hits. And he had a record company. And I don't know, somebody told me, hey, this guy's looking for someone to work in his record company. I was like, yeah, me, I can type. <laughs> I did typing at school instead of maths. <laughs> I was terrible. And you could use a typewriter. <laughs> and I could yeah, use you a could, typewriter. And lots of experience. <laughs> I'd be a good secretary. <laughs> <laughs> so I started working for him. And through him, he, he recorded a single for me. It was my first little single. Have song you still called, got that? I have got it somewhere. It's called Schoolboy. It's terrible. It's so bad. <laughs> Everybody like, says that, you know. It's, it's like, bad. It's, it's like really my bad. first radio show. Nothing's improved. But anyway, it's <laughs> the, I don't want to hear that lying. show ever again. I know, because you think you're such an amateur and you're such a baby. <sighs> you just don't even get it. I, I want to hear that song. I mean, why don't you, a, a good idea when you've got a new album coming out or whatever, re-record that song. Just as a bonus track. Nobody will know it's there. It's right at the, at the end of the CD or something. Maybe I will. What was the song all about? It was called Schoolboy. And, and you wrote it? And... No, I didn't write oh, it. Johnny you... wrote it. Okay, Johnny well. wrote it. And I sang it. Anyway, I carried on singing and doing this stuff. And then he said to me, hey, my, my buddy's going on tour. His name is Bobby Angel. <laughs> Bobby Angel, oh yes, I remember. And Bobby, need, they need somebody to open for them. Do you want to do it? I'm like, please, let me do it. So I opened for Bobby Angel, and I was on tour with him and his band, and his band backed me. Great band, man. Fantastic band. And I was so lucky to do that because Bobby was really great. So I had a good grounding, and I learned about professionalism, and I learned you've know, got to be on time, and you've got to do things a certain way. And it's not about perfection. It's just about being on mm. at all times. So I think I had a good grounding there. And then um, I came back from that tour, and then I was asked to do a tour with the Bats. We went to the border. And the war was on, my boy. Where? Up to uh, Bite Bridge or up to… Grootfontein. South West Africa. So, oh, yes. Uh, we went past… We went towards Angola. Yeah. The Caprivi. Rundu. <laughs> yeah. And that was interesting because I was the only girl. <laughs> Those guys must have gone crazy. They were mad. It was funny. It wasn't – it was quite funny. One guy tried his luck with me one oh. night. He came into the into my trailer <laughs> and nearly had his way with me. But I screamed and I shrieked and Wait, I shouted. And they was came it the and, Sergeant Major or just the It was one of those. Like, no, seriously. Somebody with rank. Somebody with rank. How dare they do that? He was that. so drunk as well. They were so drunk. <laughs> So, because we had a braai, <laughs> and they were drunk. And but also, I mean, they must have been so lonely for those guys up there fighting. Oh, terrible. A, 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 what kind of cause? Not it a cause. Horrible. They didn't know. I mean, and you guys entertained them and just brought them a little bit of, uh, you know, like, a, wow, guys, be positive, do your thing. And mm. they still do it. So a lot of American bands go to Iraq or wherever, Afghanistan, and, they, and, and comedians as well, the and they troops. entertain. It's important. Many people have done it, and many people still do it. And it is. It's amazing. I mean, those guys... They just loved being, having something to take their minds off what they were doing there. Because all they had was Scope magazine. Exactly. I mean, like, 
and there were stars on everything. Yes, but we took razor blades. <laughs> did you? And did yeah, you get and the we tried to get the stars. No. And then there were just holes. No, just holes. <laughs> Instead of stars. And then they had a cigarette ad on the inside. So <laughs> <laughs> it looked like, I think it was the old camel cigarette. So oh! you saw the yellow behind. Oh, man, I tell you those days. So, uh, yeah, so you did your thing. I mean, uh, the bats, they're still doing gigs. Can you believe it, hey? Of course they are. They are they're rocking. They're amazing. You know what? It's funny when people say, oh, they're still playing after all these years. You know what? It's like, this is what we do. Mm. Whether you say we're still playing or are they still doing this, this is what we do. This is what we're always going to do. I don't care. I'm going to probably be 80 years old. And if I can still sing, I'm going to be on stage. And that's all there is to it. Right, let's go on to Heart. Now, uh, PJ Power, she was in the studio last week, and she said you were a big inspiration in her musical career and her life as well. She saw you, what, 20th Century Fox. Wow. In yeah. town, you did a, a, a song. Do you remember which one? I used to sing Barracuda and Crazy on Cra- You. She heard you, crazy. Yeah. Can you just turn, turn a little bit away and do <laughs> crazy that? Crazy on you. Oh, amazing. Crazy on and you. And that's what PJ Power's heard, and she said, I want to do that. It's amazing, well, huh? She was already in a band. It was called Panther. Panther, yeah. And then, um, and she used to come and see me. And I, you know, if they were around and stuff. So she'd already started. Uh, and then she moved on to Hotline. And wow, what a band. We will continue with the story of a legend sitting next to me in the studio, well, opposite me. <laughs> Too scared to sit on my lap tonight. We, you know, <laughs> my hip replacement, <laughs> my bedpan. <laughs> My pacemaker. Oh, uh, but we are still here, yeah, like you said, yes. and we are still rocking, and nobody's going to stop us. No. Cindy Alter, my in studio guest, 37942 at a cost of 1.50. A couple of nice SMSs coming in here, and uh, we'll go through those. But uh, let's play some heart now. Wow, this is one of the best riffs you will ever hear in rock and roll. Jack Run FM, Anne and Nancy Wilson. Wow, man, what a combination. Heart. And uh, the people who walk past our studio at Monty. They saw us rocking out. Huh? <laughs> and then we, we look, oh, people are watching us. <laughs> Can't take us anywhere. Uh, once again, Cindy Alter is in the studio. You can SMS through 37942 at a cost of 1.50. She used to be in that world-famous band, Clout. Maybe you saw them live somewhere in South Africa or anywhere else in the world. Let us know where you saw uh, Cindy's band back in those days. Um, quickly, uh, Heart, are they still going? Yes, very much so. They're touring all the time. I mean, Ann Wilson's still one of the best singers probably ever in the world. She's a, whew, she's ballistic, man. That Led Zepp tribute, huh? Yeah, that was brilliant. That was just something. Mm. And they've got new stuff all the time and they are touring. You see, the thing is with bands like that, they tour their whole lives. So you, you could, they're always relevant. You know, when I say people still, are they still playing? This is what they do. Mm. They will always be relevant. The Rolling Stones. You know, people will pay to see them again because they are who they are. And it's not because, oh, man, it's just old school. Mm. No, it, it is music that it means something. And also the older bands, they, they know how to entertain because they've done so many live gigs. They go on there. Mm. People pay to see you. Don't just stand there and look bored. Yeah. Go on there and do something. And when people go home, they'll buy your CDs, your T-shirts. But it's about entertainment, isn't it? It's called the entertainment business. Mm. And you are there to entertain. And and listen, I mean, there's all this, the big pop stars of today, the Katy Perry's we were just talking about, Beyonce. These girls give a good show, damn it. They've mm. got the whole, the bells and whistles, 20 dancers, a band like nobody's business. 
They've got the whole thing going. They've got 35 costume changes in one show. It's like, you know, an absolute visual orgasm, mm. you, you know, all the time. And it is what it is. But there is just nothing like classic entertainment mm. without all the bells and the whistles. Because most of these girls, I mean, pop singers, they get on the stage and it looks like they're miming. If they're not miming, and they've got all the latest technology, what's that little microphone of that course. they attach to? That I mean, they're not mm. singing; they're playing to back backing, you know, tracks and stuff. In your day, you guys had to plug in those Marshall amps, and, we had to and, sing. and the drums. <laughs> the drummer wasn't even mic'd up sometimes, and played live on stage. I mean, the, most of the drummers in the sixties and seventies, Keith Moon and them, they never had microphones attached to their drum kit. Mm -hmm. They played live, and that was it. And they were loud, man. Mm. I mean, our drummer. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I <laughs> saw these lovely visitors outside. Oh, they're visiting. They're waving. They know you. Yeah, There's no substitute. <laughs> they're looking good. The girls are looking good. Um, no, it, it's, it, has, it had to be real, you know, especially then. And for us also, I mean, everybody knew that Clout didn't play on that album, mm. you know, that first album. We weren't good enough yet. And that's a damn honest truth. But afterwards, we got good. Damn and good, And we yeah. were a, a really fast, hard rock band. And we were playing these shows in Germany to these stadiums that we were playing in, in these halls and whatever we were doing. And we were live. And we were bringing the house down. We are going to talk about the beginning of Clout in just a bit. Stay there. Cindy Alter, my studio guest. Do you listen to that show on a Sunday, Cindy? I do listen to you, I must admit. Because you play such lekker stuff. You pull out some stuff there that I haven't heard for millions of years and some great South African old stuff. Yeah, that's uh, Sunday mornings from 10 until 1 in the afternoon. And also, you know, it's, I don't have to work in the garden or do anything on a Sunday morning. I'd rather <laughs> come to Monty and play my music. Well, that's your music and you bring your vinyls, I bet. Right, the uh, Cindy Alter Band. Okay. Um, oh, I see Graham Clifford. He has been around here. He was here the other day. Really? Yeah, with uh, George Van Dyke. <gasps> Were they here? George has got a new album coming oh, out. Oh, really? Uh, it is out already, but I think they're going to do a couple of shows or whatever. So, okay. listen, the Clout, um, the name, who <laughs> came up with the name? Did you all write down names and put it in the mm -mm. hat? And, tell me about as if you, if, I'm sure somebody's asked you this question before. It's a dumb question, but I don't care. I want to know. It's not a dumb question. So our manager, who became our manager, Graham Beggs, him and his cronies, his mates, <laughs> they all had this name that they used to call chicks. Okay. Hey, she's got a clout, eh? Hey? <laughs> <laughs> hey, she's got a clout. Yeah, no, she's got a good clout. So clout was the word. Oh, amazing. Not grease is the word, but clout <laughs> was the word. <laughs> and then obviously, I mean, you started rehearsing. Yes. Uh, did you write any of your own songs as well then? Later uh, I did. I wrote two songs for the band. And uh, where did you meet all the girls in the band? you want to go through all their names? And I mean, there sure. were four of you, hey? And then the two guys. Five, five girls. Five. Well, it started off with… Four, I think. and then Five girls, okay. always from the, from the start. Um, just before I went on that tour with the Bats, I got a phone call from this chick. Hello, my name's Glenda. I'm putting together an all-girl band, and I heard that you can play the guitar. I said, yes, I can. Can you sing backing vocals? I said, yes, I can. She says, okay, come for an audition. Uh, and she gave me the address. I went to Ingie's house in Houghton. And 
Inge Herbst was at, at the time, her name. And the two of them were there, and there was a girl called Lee as well. And they were very intimidating. <laughs> I was like, these chicks play in bands, you know? They're like, whoa, hardcore. And so they auditioned me, and they said, yeah, you, yeah you're good enough. You can be in our band. I said, great. She said, and we're just auditioning this guitarist as well today, which was Jenny. So everybody that was there that day got the job. She said to me, we're starting rehearsal next week. I said, well, look, I'm going on tour for a week, so I can't be here. <laughs> I'm just waving at people outside. Oh, yeah, the shows the shows are coming out, so everybody's waving. We're in the fishbowl here. <laughs> Sorry, it's <laughs> nice. <That's> okay. <laughs> so um, she said, no, 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 then you can't be in the band because if you're going away, we, we, we're starting rehearsals and we need you to start. I said, okay. She says, but can we borrow your microphone? I said, no. <laughs> Unless you let me be in the band, you can't use my microphone. And I swear. She said, oh, all right, you can be in the band. So as soon as you come back, call me, and then we'll start rehearsals. And that's literally what happened. Do you remember the song that you sang during rehearsals, when they, the auditions? I sang the one song I remember very clearly. It was, I don't know how to love him from Jesus Christ Superstar. Okay, and they liked that. They, they said, wow. It. That's quite an interesting they song. They didn't to... really say, wow, I don't think Glenda mm. wanted me to be too good. Mm. I don't mean that in a bad way. She, I think because she, she was going to be the singer. Yeah. And she didn't want anybody to else be, you know, she wanted me to be a backing singer and a guitarist. And that was how it was for quite a long time. And we started rehearsing. And it took a while for us to get half decent. And then she brought Graham Beggs along. And Graham Beggs was like, okay, we've got to get you guys in shape. And... He brought a guy called Mick Jade. Do you remember Mick Jade? He wrote all the music for the villagers. Oh, like yeah. Music, you oh, know, okay. Mick, wonderful songwriter, beautiful soul. And um, Mick was sort of seeing our, our bass player a little bit. They were having a bit of a, a scene. And um, he came and worked with us. And the one day at rehearsals, he said, you know, there's a voice there. So I want to hear this voice. came past each one of us and he said, it's you. I'm like, me? Yeah. He says, yeah, sing something. Gave me a line to sing, and I sang. He says, I want to hear you sing a song. And that was the start of the beginning of the end of Glenda being the lead singer of Cloud. <laughs> How did she feel about that? She wasn't happy. Oh, really? I, she wasn't happy at all. And it's, you know, it banged her up. But she did backing vocals anyway yeah, on most did. of the songs. And sure, she did. Mm. We all did. Mm. Absolutely. And uh, So it was the five girls. It was Glenda, Hyam at the time. Uh, Lee, Ga Lee Tomlinson, uh, Inge Herbst, Cindy Alter, <laughs> and Jenny Garson. So Jenny got married to Eon? No, her sister got married okay. to Eon. She worked in the record company at Priority Records, yes, I think. Yes, yes. Jenny's married to Mark Rosen. Oh, that's right. Yes. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. the uh, the lawyer. The lawyer. Oh, he's my lawyer as well. Is now he your lawyer? When okay. I need him. Yes, he's very good when we need him. <laughs> he, he loves the music industry as well. Mark's a great music industry okay. lawyer. Now, um, then obviously they had to look at uh, image and stuff and getting your songs on the radio, getting sure. you in the studio. So as you said, your first album, you used session musicians to, and, and you guys just sang. So you played no instruments on that first no album? No instruments whatsoever, but we sang all the parts. And the guys that we used, the session musicians, were the guys from the band Circus. Oh, okay. So it was Ron Brattel, Gary Finsale, Wally Cullis, and Sandy Robbie. And we did two promotion tours. Okay, we recorded Substitute, and within a couple of weeks it was number one everywhere. 
And then Chris Kritzinger, remember him? Mm-hmm. Also a record company guy. He went to Midham and he took the single with and bam, everybody bought it. Claude Carrere from Carrere Records bought it total for, for almost the whole of Europe. Germany was uh, Deutsche Grammophon, Holland, Carrere Records, and everyone else. Every territory in, in Europe bought the song. And within a couple of weeks, it was charting on every chart. Because somebody wrote that. I can't remember who wrote that song. Didn't the Everly Brothers do a version of that? Or so one of those? It was six, the Righteous Brothers. The Righteous, yeah. It was written for them. It was a guy yeah. called Willie Wilson that wrote the song. And uh, when you heard that song, did they actually, when you, they want you to record that song. So did they play that to you? No. Not at all? Not at all. So they just gave you the... the, the they uh, played it to me later. Um, they wow. just gave us a backing. Um, he played it to me. I think that already had a melody or something in the words. I can't remember. Because I think they might have played it to me. But it was a soul song. Mm. It was like, really... Girl, boom, you've been waiting much too long now. It's like, you know, a total Righteous Brothers soul song. And when Beggs brought the new arrangement, it was like a totally different song. And he said, we can't say girl. So what are we going to say? We need a man's name. How about Sam. Oh, yeah, that's a, <laughs> Sam. Sing the intro for me quickly, just uh, quickly. I, 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 Sam, you've been waiting much too long now. You've still got it. <laughs> so now we're going to play this song. Do you just cast your mind back? Okay. Um, how, what was the, how many takes did you do on this About song? Three. Three takes. And what I remember the old days as well. Mm. You had to move on because the next band, they were queuing up to record. <laughs> you know, you don't, you can't sit here in the studio for yeah. three weeks and record an album. Mm. Get on with it. So, yeah. um, and what was the atmosphere like? Do you remember? Do you? I remember very clearly that I didn't want the earphones on because it really bothered my ear, well, hearing. Okay. And I said to him, can I do it without earphones? He said, all right. So they brought in, remember in those days they used to have in the studio those rolling um, sound barrier things. It was like a, a, she, a, yeah, a, a they, sheet yeah, of yeah, wood they. with like glass sometimes, and they just put these around. There was a, and then there was a, a speaker on the floor just outside one of those, and he covered me in, like closed me in in these uh, sound barrier things, and he played it through the speaker, and I just sang it without earphones. Wow, I've never heard of that before. Because I mean, great. headphones are very important. I hate them. And I didn't. And all the other stuff you've recorded also without headphones. Most or? of the stuff I did with Clout was without headphones. Wow. Okay, now we're going to play the number two. I think it what nine weeks it stayed in the British charts. What was it like? Well, let's talk. Let's play the song first, and yes. then I want to ask you about when you found out that this song has now charted in the UK. Substitute Clout Jacaranda FM. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, I was singing. Goosebumps. <laughs> Look at my arm. Look at my cake, my oh. arm. Oh, Clout there with a substitute uh, number two. Uh, did you, uh, what was it like? I'm sure they phoned you and said, were you in South Africa when you heard yes, the news? Yes. Your song has entered the British charts. Where did it enter? And then it moved up or did it go uh, straight to number two? No, it, 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 it entered sort of quite low down mm. and just kind of shot up. And then went to number two. Yes. What, the, the, I mean, were you at home when they phoned and said, 
Listen, girls, did they get all of you together and say your I think song? They got us together. Wow. If I don't, if I remember correctly, and they said your song's number two, and they they need a video, but you guys can't play there. Yeah. <laughs> Must have been. It's like, oh man. Mm. You know, so they started playing the the Dutch. Top of the Pops, um, of the Pops video, yeah. Video. That's, that's sad how the cultural boycott and yeah. what all the muses went through and the sp- people in sport as well in those days. Huh? Oh, God, yes. Everybody was yeah. affected by it. But uh, guess what was at number one uh, that <laughs> you just couldn't get to number one and I can't believe it was this song. You're the one from that Greece. I want. You're the one that I want. Greece was so big in those, that's yeah, when the movie huge. came out yeah. and everything. And there, and Cloud, you were like at number two, number two, number two, and then you dropped off. We stayed at number two nine, for a couple of weeks, mm. about nine, eight, nine weeks. And that stupid song, Grease, <laughs> stayed at number one. And but I mean, that's a good song if you think about what the movie and whatever. So, but uh, it was a time, and everybody was going mad for for Olivia mm. Newton-John's pants. You know, yeah. it was all that time, and I bought pants like that immediately. <laughs> of course, I had to have those black sort of faux leather pants. And did the press uh, get behind you in South Africa? I mean, were you in the Sunday papers yeah. and, and, and in all the local newspapers? They did. They they definitely did. We also had a lot of stuff in Music Maker and Melody Maker and all that stuff. Have you still got those? I've still got a lot wow. of lot and lot of clippings. Yeah, a lot of my stuff I left in America. All my my big uh, scrapbooks, but I've, I had a scrapbook here that my mom had put together, and I was looking through it because of my book. I was looking through some old pictures. Found some crazy stuff. You know, you look at it and you go, wow. So the song, I mean, then you started touring. I mean, you had to go. I yes. mean, Germany had a number one, I think, all yes. over Europe. Yes. South Africa also number one on yes. the Springbok Top 20, but uh, it was 78 hours in a trick. Mm. And we used to uh, drive home, and I think it was David Gresham, the uh, Top 20 on a Friday night. We used to go and watch the Hot, hot Rods in the, in, the in the deep in the south. south. Yes. yes. <laughs> at Wembley. Was yes, it the Wembley absolutely. Ice Wembley? So we used to go and watch Hot Rods and oh. then drive back. And that song is well over the PA system. I remember Dennis East, uh, A Rose Has to Die. What was that oh. song? Oh. A Rose Has to Die. That was playing and they played uh, Clout as well over the PA system. Then we got in the car. My dad used to drive us back, all of us, like 10 kids, yeah. <laughs> at, at the 10, 30, 11 at night. And that song was on the charts as well. So, uh, I mean, you guys were – did you ever win a Sari Award? Yes, we won – the first year we won three. A sari, can you imagine? The sari awards. And that was usually, I went to one of them at the, um, it was in Joburg at the, uh, the Stadtsaal. Civic Theatre. Oh, the Civic. I think it was the Civic. You know, we, and, and you had to go on stage. And yes. Have you still got your sari? I what, have What does the sari look like? You know, in those days, the, the, it, 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 um, it was like a little springbok on a, okay. on a little stand. And then they made it a bit more modern for the later ones. So it had like a, Sort of a, a base, and then a little, a couple, three little spring boxes. <laughs> <laughs> and the name on there, obviously, the year and yes, what you the won, name and the category, and, all that, and, yeah. Yeah. and And then we, you know, we got a couple of gold records, and our first one was given to us by Cliff Richard. He was in the country, mm-hmm. and he came and presented to us at Plum Crazy. Wow. Plum Crazy. That's why I met my, my wife, Plum Crazy. You see? Prompt Corner. We used to hang Honey. out there. From the corner, many people got married and divorced. <laughs> that was like a little VIP section uh, at this nightclub in downtown mm-hmm. Jeppy Street, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, you had to be a VIP to go in there. And all the DJs used to hang out with all the musos in there. Weird things happened there. But, yes, uh, many. Uh, what, you played in a band as well there. What was that band called? After Cloud? Oh, before Cloud. Before that was After Cloud. After Cloud. Cloud. Uh, Syndicate. Syndicate, yes. And I played. And then after that, also played in a band called Chaos. 
Kevin Kruger and uh, Jess Rabuto, Mark Kahn, all those guys. Yes, and then you moved on to, well, I still want to talk yeah. about Cloud. I mean, okay. uh, did you ever go to America with a band or not? No. O- only just, Europe. Right at the end, just before the, the demise of Cloud, we entered the Billboard charts number 60 or something like that. And it was starting to rise. And that's when everything just cut off completely. Um, we sh- obviously, you know, you say I should have, could have, mm. ha- should why didn't we, blah, blah, blah. Somebody should have been there. Somebody should have pushed it through. Yeah, you needed a, a marketing yeah, person to yeah. and interviews on radio yeah. and stuff like that, television. And, and it's sad because… Yeah, it uh, was very sad. Yeah. Because Biggs had already lost interest. He was already working with another band, Ragdolls. Yeah. Remember the Ragdolls? And uh, that must have been sad. Did you get a call from America to come and do shows and stuff? Uh, was there a demand? Nobody called no. us, but I'm sure they were talking to, yeah. to the record company. Can you imagine if you had to get – I mean, that song got to two, number two in the UK. And usually what happened in those days, and even today, when it charts in the top ten in England, it automatically goes into the American charts as well. Well, if it entered the Billboard Hot 100 in the 60s and came down to 52 or something like mm. that, just missed the top 50, um, I mean, it was, it was a shoe-in. You know, it was gonna, it was gonna break. And that must have been sad when. Uh, who told you then? Listen, we're not interested. Obviously, the record company. And then, uh, as a band, did you all decide? Listen, we're not going to continue. The record company didn't say it wasn't interested. We did a last album. Then we did a. Uh, the last album was called "A Threat and a Promise," and uh, that was like it was a, it was a hard album to make because the band, uh, the producer who'd produced all our stuff, he wasn't even in the studio half the time. Bones Brattel produced it mostly, and he was our keyboard player. And you know, you, you can feel when something's not right, mm. and you can feel when it's it's floating, <clears throat> excuse me, in the wrong direction. And it just already it felt really bad at that time for me. And I knew we hadn't made any money; we were all still struggling, and we sold millions and millions and millions of records. So that contract you signed. Because yeah. um, I mean, you get a royalty deal. You get, uh, you know, obviously when you do your live shows, that money mm-hmm. goes to you. But I mean, even now, if you sign to a record company, you have to pay the money back because they pay for the studio time and whatever. That's what they say. To Guns and Roses, royalties. I think what five years to pay back. Use your mm-hmm. illusion. One and two, five years mm-hmm. they had to work before that was paid for. So I mean, there were some weird record deals going on, and also I mean, you guys were young and yes. uh, you wanted the fame and the fortune and the. Half a million songs sold, and did you ever get one cent out of that? No, I mean, to date, there's been like 12 point something million records sold. Yeah. So, and at that point in 1981, when the band was done, um, we'd sold 10 million records. Now, 10 million records, quite a lot of records. And in those days, you probably got a bit more for your rand than Mm. you do these days, you know. And also, I mean, you could have reinvested that money, um, you know, uh, for your family one day, or you know what I sure. mean. It's like, and you had to start all over again. But we'll, we'll talk about uh, when you left South Africa. But, but we're going to talk about Zia first. Okay. I mean, that band, I tell you, it, from a rock band into a band with, I think you were about 300 people in that band. Or <laughs> it was chaos. There was a, I mean, the cultures just mixed and whatever. It was like a <laughs> mango people. groove. Yeah, I remember Z. I remember I still got a, an album at home, vinyl with you on the cover, and oh. then 
I think seven or eight people in that band, and it was it was something it. totally different. So before we get there, um, I'm going to play the Beatles' "Let It Be," and then uh, Cindy Alter will tell us why she selected this song tonight. <laughs> wow, amazing stuff! Paul McCartney on vocals, and that was the last song they recorded together, and then he left the band. Hey, "Let really? It Be." Mm, how ironic! "Let It Be." Really? Yeah. Why that I song? Thought that was the, one of their first albums. I know. That's, it says, yeah. Really? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. It was written in, uh, by Paul McCartney. He sang that as well. And it was uh, their final single before McCartney announced his departure from the band. Holy crap. Yeah. Linda McCartney, she, on that song as well, quite interesting. She, she didn't do any vocals or anything on any Beatles song. Mm-hmm. That was the only one. So now we know. Uh, my in-studio guest, Cindy Alter from Cloud. Do you still get that? From Cloud. From Cloud. <laughs> I, like, from I escaped Alter it Irving. when I was living in America because nobody knew about Cloud. <laughs> nobody knew nothing. It was just Cindy Alter. Hey, but uh, your roots started there and <laughs> yeah. you know, that made you famous. So I remember watching Cloud, the Bats, Dennis East, Gene Rockwell, at Margo's next to the Margo's Rainbow Racetrack. R- Rainbow Resort. <laughs> Ian Lombard. We'd all been there, man. Ian Lombard was there. And I'm just looking at the picture. I talk so big here. He's still got a <laughs> he's going a bit grey around the ed- uh, edges, but uh, yeah, so in the seventies. I mean mm-hmm. uh, we had some amazing venues as well, like resorts and stuff. Oh, so God, bands yes. used to play and the Randy used to show. Did you ever do oh, any God, shows? There? There's tons of shows mm-hmm. there. King Louis used to book us there. Oh yeah. Louis van Vag, yeah. Auntie's brother. He used to book us there. We used to play there. I mean, with Zia, we played a lot at the show. I actually, I mean, we played with bands like the Helicopters, mm-hmm. Sweat Band, all those hot bands of the time. Now, Zia, you mm-hmm. moved from, you know, sort of a rock pop sound. This was something totally different. And uh, we, we spoke off air about it. Uh, you started doing this Afro rock thing a little bit before uh, Mango Groove started. So you're already involved with that. What what made you change? Did you meet new people? Did you like the mm. uh, mm. different cultures? What influenced you? Because the music changed a bit there for you. I was, you know, I was doing the rock thing again. And we we're just doing a cover band, Cindy Alter Band, who was playing at the Pig and Whistle at Milner Park, and you know all these kind of places, and Jolly Roger in town, and um, my the drummer Patrick, who I was involved with at the time, he said, I want to do something different. He says, this country's changing. He was very politically plugged in. And he says, I, I know there's something happening here. He said, I want to be part of it. And I was like, cool, man, let's do it, whatever it is. He said, I want to get some some black dancers, and I want to start using some, some black rhythms and African stuff. I was like, cool. And I really, I like, I threw myself so into it, hey. I mean, I was like this crazy friggin' rock African princess with his hair and the stripes on my cheeks and these little sort Many of skirts, grass, grass what, was skirts. Was it the leopard yes, skin the kind leopard of skin. Shit. Yeah. Like my one boyfriend at one point says, when are you going to stop wearing these grass skirts and bangles, man? <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, then did you ever go like, like Mango Groove did? Did you go and play in the township? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Must have been yeah, amazing. Yeah, huh? yeah, it was incredible. It was incredible. To, I mean, thousands and thousands of people just screaming and loving the music because they were just wanting to party and dance, and that's all they wanted to do. And there were some hairy times as well. I mean, there was a time we were in Kimberley, and we nearly got killed, man, because these people just rioted. They went berserk because the sound went, the electricity went, and suddenly there's no sound, and they just started swarming and pulling all the 
the gear off the stage. I mean, these were stacks of, of speakers, PA systems, huge things. They were pulling it off the stage. I mean, we had some really close calls in those days. Did, some, you, did you do any shows with Brenda Fussy? I mean, she was also yes, part of that. And lots when of Brenda stuff. always arrived late and there was a riot before. Of and, course. And did you ever um, get on? Did you get on well with Brenda? What kind of uh, vibe did you have as a band with the Got Bre- on Brenda very Fussy? Well with ben, Brenda. Brenda and the big dudes, all the guys we played with, we were Chico and Lucky Dubé, Stimela. I mean, all the guys that were playing at the time, Sipo Hot Sticks, we were on tour with these guys. We went overseas with them to France. We had a, a, a whole tour of just black artists, and we were we were on tour with them. And that's the the time that we were in France, and we opened for the Bee Gees, mm. just Zia band, not with the, all the other bands. And that was pretty pretty something pretty wow. What were they like backstage? Super duper nice guys. Wow wow. Really, I mean, I'd always loved them. I'm sorry I didn't have one of their songs in there because mm. they've, I've got like a hundred of their songs that are my favorites. Let's get back to that Beatles song, uh, Let yes. It Be. You had a little story about that. you want to tell well, us about that? Well, that was the first real album that I'd, I'd got. My dad had his bicycle shop. And he had bicycle shop and watch repairs. <laughs> <laughs> and okay. other stuff that was in there that you could go into every drawer and there was like things, firecrackers and... <laughs> Toys, things you would find. MacGyver, yes. Yeah, it was a MacGyver <laughs> store, okay? And then my father was MacGyver, I swear. He could fix anything. And he suddenly started, the one day I come into the store and he's got this rack. And it's got LPs. And I'm like, wow, Dad, what is this? Oh, you know, I'm going to try to sell some of these LPs now. It's not 78s anymore, it's 33s. <laughs> I said, can I have this one? He says, yeah, okay, you can take it. He would give me anything. I had a bicycle. I had everything. And he gave me this thing, this black cover with these four people on it. Like the Beatles, hey? Wow. And I was like, what? I don't remember. I was a kid. And that was my first real album. When I heard that song, Let It Be, and all those harmonies, mm. it's like almost like church, you know? And I'm not a religious person, but God, it moved me can't say that doesn't move you and then the were you a big beatles fan from that day no funnily enough so it's just that song that blew you away that song blew me away and and some of their songs absolutely blew me away and when you perform now do you do uh let it be no you should i I think it'll be quite nice it would be an awesome song to do it will be you okay next gig when i when i pop in i want you to do that song i'm gonna learn it i mean i I know it but geez It's a tough song to do as well. You know I mean, what? You've got to find the right key because mm. it goes up and you've got to be right there, baby. Otherwise, you get end up going, <laughs> and we so, don't want that. Then Zia, I mean, you had uh, a bit of fame there and whatever. Yes. And, and how many albums did Zia release? Zia did about five, five albums. And also think in the old days on Radio 5, uh, you were, I think, uh, next to Sipart 6 Mabuse, yes. the first uh, well, Sipo was the first black artist to get airplay on, a, on an SABC white radio station, yes. so to speak, in those days. And uh, Sipo still can't believe it. I saw him the other day and I said, do you know that? Your record <laughs> still was, stands. Absolutely. Yeah, was, I mean, can you imagine what a song the well. songs that they banned at the SABC during those days? I mean, sure. uh, being a muser must have been, uh, wow. Okay. And there's Cindy Alter. With a couple of black guys on stage. I mean, mm-hmm. you must have had, I mean, it happened to Mango Groove. I mean, Claire Johnson told me, um, you know, they had the PJ Powers. They had yeah. the, you know, the Avia beer gave the them rude. a lot of hell and uh, stuff like that. Scott so. punched me once. 
punched me right out. I went flying across the room because I was dancing with blacks. How dare you dance with these black people? And I said, don't be a pig. He punched me. Mm. I went flying across the room. It was not a pleasant experience. And, it, yeah, we'd had some really, I even had police say, you can't wear that T-shirt because it said Kasatu or something mm. on it, you know. I said, well, I'll take it off. But I've got nothing on underneath. Can I walk around naked? You don't mind? He's like, no, don't be ridiculous. You can't walk around naked. I said, why not? <laughs> so there were a lot of uh, musos in those. And I think music, uh, universal language. I mean, music yeah. brings people together. A, and I mean, look at that concert in the park. Uh, I think, what, 120,000 people. I don't know if you were there. I was not at the first one. I was at the second one. And, you know, black and white on stage, in the crowd, and the government couldn't do a thing. And black and white <laughs> in the crowd. Yes. Having and, a good time. And nobody could do anything. Mm. And it was just, that was the start. Yeah. You know, because music always heralds change. Whatever revolution is coming, music is part of it. I mean, look at Vietnam and all that stuff. Mm. The music that was coming out of there was protest songs. Everybody's speaking about it. You know, music speaks of the age and of the era. And that's what's sad about music today, or a lot of the music. I mean, it's that which we've sort of become this regurgitated pop. Mm. Is this who we are? Are we so shallow? Yes, we are. I think we need a new, uh, you know, every 10 years or so, it's like Nirvana. They, it's mm. like, thank goodness for Nirvana. I mean, they started that. They didn't start the movement. They were no. just musos doing their thing. And then the people started listening to the lyrics. It's and the, the anti-pop yeah. thing. And we need that soon. So any anti-pop bands listening, please come and save us. from. Save us. Okay, we're going to take save a bit of a break me. now. Oh, yes, we're going to talk about that song as well. Look who's outside the studio. Tony Gaza. Tony Gaza. I'm oh. going to be playing with Tony on Friday at Eastgate. Yoo-hoo. He hits those bongos, eh? Hey? He's a brilliant musician. He is brilliant. a great musician. Uh, let's just talk quickly about uh, Zia. When you guys, uh, how long did you carry on? It was about four or five years. You yeah. had a good innings there. No, and we then... had a good innings. We finished in 89. Why, why did that happen? You just tired of each other or you just thought, hey, I want to do my own thing or... I'd um, I'd been in a bad relationship with the drummer for all those years, mm. and I knew if I just kept staying, I was just going to end up in a bad place. And my desire to go to America was very strong. And I'd met a friend, a guy, he was just a mate, and he he had a house in L.A., and he said, listen, if you ever want to come live there, you're welcome to stay in my house for free. We'll talk about America after this. <laughs>